you give them the time, trust, and top cover to do their jobs. Yeah. You remove impediments for them so that they can do their jobs. That, to me, is the true definition of leadership, is empowering and enabling your people to do the best that they can. How are the leaders at all levels of management tackling the toughest challenges each day? That's the question. And this podcast is the answer. I'm Rob Fonte, and I'm bringing on the brightest minds in management to share practical solutions to those challenges you're facing. Let's get ready to jam. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Leadership Jam Session. Today's guest is John McCaskill, who is a retired Navy SEAL commander. John served in the military for almost 24 years, and he's here today to share his incredible journey with us. And you'll hear John talk about some of his experiences and the challenges that he had to overcome and how he uses his experience and personal stories to help organizations today to overcome some of their day-to-day challenges, as well as helping so many other leaders through his podcast that he co-hosts called Men Talking Mindfulness Podcast. John, welcome to the Jam Session. Thanks, Rob. Great to be here. I'm looking forward to the conversation. So am I. So are you ready to jam? I'm ready. And, um, and first and foremost, I do want to thank you for your service to our great nation. And I appreciate you coming on. Well, thanks, man. Uh, I got I to gotta tell you, I get that. Thanks for your service. And I appreciate it. I do. But I also got to tell you, it was an honor and a privilege of mine to serve and to serve right next to some of this country's best. Uh, I, I, if I had it to do all over again, I would do it all over again. So thank you for the opportunity to, to serve. No, yeah. You know, again, I appreciate everything you've done for us and, and definitely want to uh, talk a little bit about your time and your journey. And uh, definitely want to talk about your podcast, uh, which, which we'll get to, but I think your journey will help provide a lot of the, the context behind that the reasons why you've launched that that podcast. So maybe sure. we can just start with your journey. And of course, I think you you were in the um, graduated from the Naval Academy. Is that right? I did. And, yes. And then from there, did you knew you kind of wanted to try to get into the SEAL teams, or how how yeah. that happened? I think I knew back in high school. Uh, I somewhere probably like my, my junior year or so, I decided that I wanted to be in special operations in some capacity. I, I was a uh, running track and cross country as a, as a young guy. And, you know, I was part of a small group. Uh, you know, a lot of other guys were playing football or basketball or baseball. And I, I have nothing against those sports. I, I have tremendous respect for all those guys, but I just didn't have the, the hand-eye coordination to play the ball sports. So I ran track and cross country and it was a small team, but we were very successful. And so I decided that when I left high school, I wanted to be part of uh, a small team that was like a brotherhood doing something that they were very good at and they were very successful at and special operations fit that. And then growing up, I used to spend the summers uh, down uh, on the Gulf coast and spend some time in the water. And I, I knew that I wanted to do some type of special operations in or around the water. And so the Navy kind of bubbled to the surface, bubbled to the, and no pun intended there, but right. they, they, bubbled, they bubbled to the, the top of the list and the Navy SEALs specifically. So I thought about going into the SEALs out of high school. Um, I kind of envisioned myself going from high school to the Naval Academy and then going from the Naval Academy into the SEALs. I applied to get into the Naval Academy out of high school and actually got denied first off. And so I thought, well, you know, my ultimate dream is to become a SEAL, whether it's going through the Naval Academy or not. So I, I decided to enlist. 
enlisted in the Navy, and then got picked up from the enlisted ranks to go into the Naval Academy. And so I graduated in the class of 2001 and got selected out of that group. I got to stop you there. I was was kind of, as you were talking about high school, and you were talking about, you know, you said you kind of didn't have the hand-eye coordination. I just kind of have to laugh at that as here, here you go off and then become a, a SEAL team. Join <laughs> SEALs, right? I mean, I'm pretty sure you have to have some pretty good hand-eye coordination for that. Decent. I mean, you got to do the obstacle course and, and be able to shoot and move and communicate yeah. so that there was uh, some level of coordination there. But I'm still not a great ball sport guy, okay. um, but I've, I've gotten better in my, my uh, seasoned years, if you will. I can ski now. I can, uh, I can water ski. I can, I can do things <laughs> that, I, that I wasn't able to do when I was younger. But I think some of that, that hand-eye coordination was actually developed through the, through the time in the SEAL teams and through training. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of ironic there. But right. yeah, um, so yeah, I went on, um, served in the SEAL teams from from 2003-ish until just last year, I retired in uh, August of 2020. Wow. And during that time, I had uh, you know I had some ups and downs, but looking back on it, for the most part, it was uh, more ups than downs. So I enjoyed it. Wow, I can't believe that. I didn't realize you had that many years operating. In, yeah, in yeah. that's incredible. Well, operating is a is a relative wow. term. I, I spent the the latter part of my career behind a computer. So if operating a keyboard and a mouse, <laughs> yeah, if that if that's part of it, yeah, I definitely I, I was not um, tactical my whole time. There's a lot of other guys who are, and they are just uh, unbelievable heroes uh, in my eyes. And uh, I, I definitely attribute where we are as a country to men and women like that who are doing the the heavy lifting on the battlefield on and off the battlefield. So, mm-hmm. and maybe you can just help share. Cause, um, cause I myself and just don't know the differences in terms of operators or cause you were a Navy SEAL commander. Right. right? And so maybe you can just right. share a little bit about what specifically your role. Sure. Entailed. Yeah. I mean, my role changed over the years as I kind of rose through the ranks, the analogy that I always try to use is the, you know, the, the, the enlisted men on a SEAL team are, kind of like the players on a football, on a football field, mm-hmm. they're out there doing the, the work, doing the real work, getting the job done. And the, uh, and obviously this analogy is not perfect. There's exceptions and, sure. uh, to the rules, but, but the officers are kind of like the offensive coaches, defensive coaches. And then as you rise up through the ranks on the officer side, you move from, offensive coordinator to offensive lead coach to head coach and then eventually up to the owner mm-hmm. right so they're not down there on the battlefield quote unquote doing the work now that said there's plenty of officers who do get into firefights who are on the battlefield and myself included as a as a junior officer I was out there but the senior enlisted men on the on the seal teams are the ones who are doing the the real leadership on the battlefield, and they're they're not only leading the the other men, but they're they're the, the ones who I lean on as an officer, as a junior officer. I turn to my chief, my senior chief, my master chief, mm-hmm. and I I ask them, I lean on them for their advice, their their experience, their sage, the ones who've been there and done that. So you lean on them a lot. Well, I'm kind of <laughs> laughing because the way you just explained that, in in reality, to the corporate world. Isn't that far off leaning on, you know, your, you know, your more experienced people on the ground for advice right. and guidance, right? Similar in some respects. Yeah. Well, hopefully, and From I think that's one of the, 
one of yeah. the reasons so many military leaders do well in yeah. corporate America is that they know they know off the bat they don't know it all and they're yeah. going to have to ask questions and that's where i think a true leader distinguishes him or herself is they they're willing to admit that they don't know it all they don't want to be the smartest person in the room they want to learn from those around them mm-hmm. and they want to be servant leaders right that's the that's the job that's the job of a leader is to be yeah. a servant leader is to empower those that are under you, quote unquote, in an organization to be the best that they can, that, 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 that they can be. You give them the time, trust, and top cover to do their jobs. Yeah. You remove impediments for them so that they can do their jobs. That, to me, is the true definition of leadership, is empowering and enabling your people to do the best that they can. So mm-hmm. Completely yeah. agree. And again, you know, you, you currently now work with organizations um, based on your experience, uh, except that, you know, your approach to that a little bit different, right? Particularly based yes. on some of your experience, which I think is important, you know, to share that. It is a lot different than, um, than your typical leadership consultant or management consultant. Yep. I, I, I try to call myself an organizational cultural consultant. So I come in and I assess much like any other management and leadership consultant. I assess what the organization is doing, but then I see what the emotional intelligence is of the leaders. The emotional intelligence is of the managers. The emotional intelligence is of the organization as a whole, Mm -hmm. how they're bonding, what they're doing together to form a team, to form a culture that is one of high performance. That is one that is working towards the same goal. That is one that is hired. If we're hiring people, we're making sure we're hiring people that are living and breathing the same ideals and values of the organization. If you hire people just to hire people, you're eventually going to set yourself up for failure. So that's uh, that's what I do is I, I come in and, and I look at it through a different optic than most leadership and management consultants do. Uh, with kind of a, a an eye for how to improve the culture, how to improve the the gelling of the team together, how they come together, mm-hmm. and then how to work towards a common goal. I don't look at finances. I don't look at any of that. Right. That will all come as a byproduct. the The primary reason, the primary goal of me coming into an organization is to help them improve their culture. Which again, the byproduct will be improving their bottom line. Sure. Yeah. And let me ask you this, because you, you work with a lot of you know, organizations, from your perspective, what do you come across as that, that you see as some of the biggest challenges within organizations? I, I think there's, there's uh, two things, and, and they're kind of intertwined. Is one is pride, uh-huh. um, pride of some of the leaders that they, they think that they know it all, and mm-hmm. they think that their way is the only way. And sometimes they're too proud to listen to input from those who, who may be junior in the organization, but they may be more seasoned. They may have more experience, but they may be junior as far as rank is concerned. Yeah. So as a leader in an organization, I think putting pride aside and asking questions, having that beginner's mindset and coming back to what I mentioned before, not wanting to be the smartest person in the room. If you put your pride aside, be vulnerable one that allows you to learn from your people and two it allows them to see you as a human being rather than just a position so that they're more likely to actually want to work for you 
Mm-hmm. And the other one is toxicity. Uh, there's just so much toxicity these days, whether it's because of personality or because of um, religious or political views. Yeah. There are some things that just do not belong in a workspace. And if you can work to remove those, then uh, then you can help to remove the toxicity, whether it's talking about religion, whether it's talking about politics, or whether it's just some backbiting, backstabbing that can happen if if you have maybe an organization that has different departments and divisions, a lot of the time there, there can be cliques that form mm-hmm. uh, in, in and around those departments or around a particular mission or whatever that you're working towards. I like to get those departments, divisions to work together and so that you have some cross-functional ideas of what yeah. the other department does and then also some respect and admiration for the other departments and the other people. So you can cut some of that toxicity out if you actually start doing as trivial as they may seem, if you actually start doing some team building exercises, some team building retreats, mm-hmm. uh, even, even days that maybe get away as, a, as an organization. And you start to see people and, and, and see them as people rather than just others within the, within the organization. Yeah. That can help with that toxicity, but pride and toxicity, as far as I'm concerned, are, are the two big hurdles that need to be overcome. Which really, you know, stems from the individual leaders that, that are there to help mitigate that, right? Help set the tone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. If the, <laughs> if the senior leaders in an organization are themselves toxic mm-hmm. or are themselves being overly prideful, that will trickle down and sink a sink a very successful organization yeah. faster than anything else. Yeah. And you talk about, uh, I know we talked the other day, you kind of share with me, at least your philosophy around, you know, some common themes that make up a great team, a great leaders. And I think there's, there's four that, that you kind of talk through with me. Yeah. As, as far as what I've seen in my time in the SEAL teams and in the organizations that I've worked with, there's, there's four attributes that I, I feel really lend to successful leaders and successful teams. And that's preparedness, resilience, grit, and compassion. And so preparedness is being able to plan for the foreseen and unforeseen. The resilience is bouncing back once you get knocked down because you're going to get knocked down. The grit is setting goals and then working to achieve those goals. And then compassion is understanding what your people need and what you personally need. So having some self-compassion, understanding what your people need and what you need in order to succeed. And then it comes back to that servant leadership. If you understand what your people need, then you're able to give them that. Once they have that, they're going to do anything, anything for you. So those are the four attributes that I feel are are common amongst very successful teams and, and uh, successful leaders. And I know I'm going to get some pushback on this. Some people are going to say, well, what about courage, um, authenticity, integrity, honesty? I feel that if you are prepared, if you are resilient, if you are gritty, and if you have mm-hmm. compassion, all those other leadership attributes fall into those four buckets and you're going to have them. If you don't, then then there, there's, there's going to be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I actually would agree with that. I think the one that kind of stands out to me as well is one that doesn't get talked about enough is the compassion piece. Maybe that gets right. back to the, you know, the leaders who think they're always right or aren't willing to 
maybe listen to some of their employees or, or ask some of the questions they should be asking. But the compassion right. piece, I think, is an important one. I mean, leaders really, it's sad because if leaders were a little bit more vulnerable, it goes such a long way. Absolutely, it does. Right? Yeah, uh, 100%. The, the vulnerability that leads to the compassion. I, mean, I think if you're, if you're vulnerable enough to express when you're maybe not, maybe you don't know everything, Mm-hmm. Or if you're vulnerable enough to know that you have a weakness and actually express that, that doesn't mean that you're weak. It just means right. that you have a weakness. Um, <laughs> by expressing that vulnerability, you can, and and quote unquote weakness, you can lean on somebody else who has that as a strength. And then as a team, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. Yeah. So as a leader, you need to know who has different attributes as strengths. And you need to know your own weaknesses so that you can lean on those other people in the organization. Or if you don't have them in your organization, then you can hire the people that have them. And I know we spoke last week, we talked about you know, hiring for soft skills, not for the hard skills, mm-hmm. uh, hiring for people who are going to build a team up that are going to support and promote a team rather than hiring because somebody has the best PowerPoint or coding mm-hmm. skills, or right. uh, you, you can definitely teach hard skills. I mean, obviously that you're not going to hire someone as a surgeon and then teach them on the job to be a surgeon, but in an organization as a whole, you can, you can teach some hard skills. You don't necessarily have to hire exclusively for the hard skills. Look for the soft skills, look for the leaders, look for the people who are going to motivate and inspire and gel the team together. And when you can do that, you can develop those high performing teams. Yeah. You know, so a couple of things you said, I think is so spot on. First of all, those of us out there that, uh, you know, cause I have a lot of emerging leaders, leaders who are either new to managing that listen in and I get it. Uh, you don't want to show that you may not know something, but I can tell you that you're just putting way too much pressure on you. Cause as you said, John, we don't have all the answers, right? right. I mean, that's right. And, and quite honestly, the ones who are vulnerable, it's not a sign of weakness as you talked about, right? They're the ones right. that actually are confident enough to admit it, if you oh, think about absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like um, yeah. Brene Brown, right? Yeah. She she talks about how uh, she sits on an airplane and somebody asks her what she does. And she says, well, I talk about uh, vulnerability and strength and, yeah. uh, or vulnerability and courage. And, and the one person says, oh, two different sides of the spectrum. And, you know, that's not at all the case. <laughs> vulnerability wow. is on the exact same side. Vulnerability is a strength. It takes a lot. Um, we, we talk on our men talking mindfulness podcast, which I know we'll get into later, but we talk about how fear keeps us from being vulnerable fear of what we may be seen as Mm -hmm. who we may be seen as we may be seen as weak. We may be seen as somebody who doesn't have it all together. That fear is keeping us from being vulnerable. And if we're not, over, if we're not overcoming that fear, then that is the weakness. That's the weakness. It's not right. the vulnerability. It's not the expressing that you have a weakness in and of itself. It's, it's the fear of mm-hmm. showing that weakness and that if you don't show that weakness, and if you don't ask those questions, if you don't admit that you don't have all the answers, the worst that can happen is, is somebody can die, right? Mm-hmm. Like our example in military, yeah. If you go in and you say, Hey, I've got it all together. I've got all the answers. Don't ask questions. You go on the battlefield and you're not prepared, but you've been putting on this mask of preparedness, then people die. 
Yeah. And that's, uh, that's obviously not something that we want, whether that's on the battlefield or whether it's in a corporate team or whether mm-hmm. it's, uh, in, in a, in a school or whatever, we don't want people to get hurt. We don't want people to die. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's why you have to admit that you have weakness. That's why you have to admit that you don't have all the answers. You have to be vulnerable. That is a strength. That's right. 100% agreed. And the second thing that you talked about, right, is, is finding, you know, it's not always about the hard skills, right? And this is hard too, particularly when you're new to managing um, in terms of hiring and building out a team. Sometimes it's more important to find the right people who complete the team. And it may have nothing to do with the hard skills. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, you can bring the, you know, out sports analogies, right? You can have a basketball team that is decent and bring the superstar player that has all the hard skills that can do everything on the court, but doesn't bring that team together. Yeah. You're not going to have a championship team. You won't. Yeah. Whereas you go back to the, the bulls of the nineties, the, the, the double triple, uh, the double three P right. You had a team that gelled together and they were able to do the amazing right. things that they did because they gelled together. Sure. They had Michael Jordan. Don't get me wrong. Michael Jordan's a phenomenal player. Uh, and I've always been a huge fan of Michael Jordan, but, but, um, but they also had a team. And if you can do that, if you can bring on somebody that may not have the, all the hard skills, but they're able to bring the team together, working towards that common goal, mm-hmm. then that's when you're going to do better. That's yeah. what you should be hiring for. And you should be, the hiring process should take longer than it does mm-hmm. in a lot of organizations. A lot of the time, there's a, there's a rush to hire because they feel, because an organization feels understaffed. And that in that rush to hire, they don't pay attention to a person's ideals and values and whether they're, that person's ideals and values are in line with the organization's ideals and values. They don't pay attention to what soft skills the person is bringing and they bring that person in and they could be toxic. They mm-hmm. could not have the same ideals and values. And now they end up firing that person and then there's just a higher turnaround. The other side is that we're too slow to fire because we were like, okay, well, we can develop this person. We can make them who we want them to be. We can make them who we thought they were. That's the yeah. problem is a lot of time we, we think we can make them who we thought they were. They're not going to change. They're not yeah. going to change fast enough. So you've got to be slow to hire and fast to fire. And I know that that sounds crass, but if you're really working towards building a high-performing team, a high-performing org- organization, you have to cut out the cancers as quickly as you can. Anyone that is coming in that is going to be detrimental towards an organization reaching its goals, that is going to be toxic um, in the culture, you got to cut them out. Otherwise, yeah. you're going to be on a sinking ship. You know, what's interesting is as you're, as you're talking, reminding me, a lot of the coaching I do with some leaders and, and executives and some of the challenges they're having are... 99% of the time specific to employees that have be- behavioral challenges, not the right fit. They're just whatever the case may be toxic. And in many cases, they were never, you know, they inherited the employee. So because they were, they were never coached properly or dealt with to your point. Right. Um, right. Or there was, um, they look great on paper, 
the pressure was there to hire and no thought was put into the fit side of it. Right. Right. And then it just lingers on and nobody, they kick the can down the road. (laughs) Yeah. Or they, they, exactly. They kick the can down the road. Hey, let somebody else fire them. Yeah. Um, Let somebody else hire on a, an employee that's going to come in here and and change the organization. Yeah. It's, it's a dissonance, right? You just put pushing, pushing it further and further down the road and hoping that things are going to get better. And as we say in the military, hope is not a course of action. You can't hope your way to success. you got to build your way to success. And that's by building a team that is high performing. That's the yeah. only way you're going to be able to do it. And in order to do that, you as a leader, you have to make some hard decisions, yeah. some decisions that are going to be unpopular, some decisions that may even be detrimental to the organization in the short run, but in the long run, it's going to be, it's going to be better for it. Just like yeah. coming back to potentially not hiring someone when there's a staffing shortfall. Hey, you don't want to hire the wrong person, so why rush to hire? Or potentially not firing. Hey, if you if you fire someone and now you're now you're understaffed, sure that may be at the short term detriment to the organization, but in the long term, you fired that person because they were a detriment. Yeah. So yes, firing them may be a detriment but it's not as much as keeping them on board. Yeah. So, yeah, well, that kind of gets into a little bit of the preparedness, right? Like putting the time yes. to really think through it and research it and, and what are the steps you need to take? Exactly. Exactly. Know, know where you are, know what you need so that you know how to get where you want to go. That's uh, that's preparedness. If you, if you don't know what you need, if you don't know what, where you are, then how are you ever going to get to success? If success is where you want to be, can't get there if you don't know where you are and what you need. So well said. Let's now shift gears a little bit, talk about your podcast. And and if I have this accurate, I think the journey on what led you to to the podcast had goes back to some of the, your experience in, in the SEAL teams and having to overcome some some challenges. Is that, that accurate? Sure does. Yes, a hundred percent. Yeah. So the the podcast is men talking mindfulness. And it's myself and my co-host, Will Schneider. And the, the catch line, if you will, is what happens when a retired Navy SEAL commander gets together with a, a yoga and meditation teacher to talk about mindfulness. And, and, uh, and the joke is that we don't know because we <laughs> <laughs> literally every show we have uh, something right. happen that we had no idea was going to happen. But that all stems from, like you mentioned, something uh, in my career. In my in my SEAL career, I, I battled with survivor guilt and stress and anxiety and depression. And, and quite honestly, uh, just to be completely vulnerable right here uh, with you um, is uh, I had some suicidal thoughts because uh, oh. I thought that I didn't belong to be here when I'd lost some some friends who I really admired and I thought were amazing men, amazing people, amazing husbands, fathers. And uh and I ended up going to see some counselors for that, for the, those thoughts and the depression and the anxiety and the survivor's guilt. And eventually one of the counselors recommended mindfulness and meditation to me. And uh, I, I laughed at them initially because I, I thought that I was above mindfulness and meditation. I thought that I was too tough for mindfulness meditation. In my mind, that was kind of a soft practice, uh, something for the weak of mind something for uh, hippies and monks and, and not, not right. that I have anything against the yeah. hippies or monks, 
but just personally, I didn't see myself as one. Got convinced by this counselor that uh, mindfulness was not for the weak, that it was for very high performing individuals and that it helped to develop your discipline, your work ethic, your resilience and grit, which I talked mm-hmm. about before yeah. as, as a key leadership attribute. And uh, I thought, okay, well, if it can help with that, then I'll try it out. He basically sold it to me as a performance enhancing side of things rather than a, than a therapeutic thing. And as a, a special operator, anything that can improve your performance, we kind of buy into. So I, I was sold. So I started practicing. And about two or three months later, I saw improvements in my performance. I saw improvements in my ability to handle stress and anxiety. And I also saw some of those things that I'd boxed up and put away for years, they bubbled to the surface and I was able to actually see what I needed to talk through at talk counseling. Because I'd gone to talk counseling for a while, I just didn't know what I needed to talk through. Hmm. Um, But now I did. Now I knew what I had to address. And once I was able to identify it, name it, then I was able to tame it. So name it to tame it. Yeah. So fast forward. Now I felt that mindfulness and meditation was something that I needed to share with as many people as would listen, because I attribute those to changing and quite literally saving my life. I was having these monthly phone calls with a buddy of mine about mindfulness and meditation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we, then we thought, you know what, we should just take these phone calls, tape them and put them on a podcast. Yeah. Um, and, and we didn't know how to do that. So we started with Instagram live, just having some conversations and seeing who would listen. And, uh, you know, as any podcaster who starts, it was, it was awful. The, 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 uh, equipment wasn't professional. Right. The, the audio was terrible. Yes. I can I, relate. I, yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Had Wi-Fi issues, everything. I mean, my, my wife and dog and kids all right. came into the show at different times. Bottom line is uh, we took that and eventually saw that people were paying attention to what it is we're doing. And that's uh, basically the, the mission of Men Talking Mindfulness is to break the stigma that surrounds these practices amongst men specifically. Mm-hmm. But we, we do have uh, a varied audience of men, mm-hmm. women, and everything in between. And, uh, and we, we really are enjoying where the show is going. But more importantly, we are enjoying seeing the positive effect that the show is having on people's lives. They weren't aware of these practices or they thought that that stigma, they, they kind of envisioned them as the same thing I had, the soft practices. Yeah. And when we bring on different guests with different backgrounds or we just, or it's just me and Will kind of shooting the bull back and forth, it opens people's minds to these practices. Then they try it out and then they see that it does in fact change their lives for the better. So that's what uh, the Men Men Talking Mindfulness podcast is. And that's how it came to be based off of a hardship or an adversity, an obstacle, whatever you want to call it, that I I overcame via mindfulness. Yeah. Well, first of all, I I appreciate your willingness to to share your vulnerability. I think, you know, your your story in itself is inspirational. I'm glad to see where you came out of it and, and where you are today and using it as a way to help so many others out there. I was so Thanks, intrigued by, by the title of the podcast. Uh, and, and, again, <laughs> and a big shout out to, uh, to Jeff Harris. He was, he was on my podcast last year, and he was the one that kind of connected us uh, together. Yeah, so, just had dinner with Jeff two nights ago. Oh, did you? Last okay. night. Last night. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Losing well, track of time. It was last night. Well, when he sent me the, um, the LinkedIn message and connected us, and I saw the title, I was like, oh, 
I was like, hmm, that's an interesting title for a podcast. And I looked into it and uh, I was really intrigued by it. So I definitely recommend for those of you out there, tune in and, and take a listen to it. Because I think it's, it's, it's great in terms of what you're doing to help Thank others you. out there. I will yeah. say tune into the, the, the more recent episodes. The audio <laughs> right. is much better. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally with you. You know, I go back to some of the ones that, that when we first started, I was like, oh, wow, did that really happen? you know right right <laughs> maybe maybe one day i'll release the bloopers and and that might be even more entertaining there you, you go know? there yeah. you go that would be fun uh, all right so so as we wrap up how can uh you know anybody who wants to reach out to you because i know you do work with organizations and we will put your contact information in the show notes but great uh, any any way anybody can just what's the best way people can reach out to you yeah yeah as far as the the leadership or the organizational cultural consulting just johnmccaskill.com I do the consulting, or if you don't want to bring me in to do consulting, I do the keynote speaking about the same topics that we've discussed today. And then as far as the podcast, it's just men talking mindfulness and we're on, uh, we're on YouTube and we're on almost every podcast platform out there. Uh, so check that out. And then, uh, as far as social media, I'm on Instagram as mindful frogman and LinkedIn <laughs> just with my name. Uh, so check me out there. I'd love to connect. Mindful frogman. I love that. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, John, listen, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your stories and, and, and you're sharing, you know, the vulnerability piece of it. And, and again, I think you're a true inspiration hero. And again, just want to thank you for your service and, and for coming. Pleasure. And sharing. Yeah. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And, and thanks for doing what you're doing with leaders because we need more strong leaders out there. And if they can learn the lessons from others who have gone before them, then, uh, more power to him. So thank you, Rob, for doing what you're doing. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it with a friend or colleague who you think might also get some value from it. I'm Rob Fonte, and I'll see you on the next episode of the Leadership Jam Session Podcast.